took a look at the the Great Commission, if you if you remember, and and kind of rethought the idea of it, you know, and you know we all know the Great Commission as you know t- Jesus telling his disciples to go and to make disciples and to baptize them and to teach them. And a lot of times, if you're like me, took that as a an evangelism kind of mandate. But as we saw that, you know what. Jesus wasn't so much talking about salvation there as as much as he was talking about the gospel. The gospel of, of yes, starting with being saved, but, but also a, that we have the opportunity to have a relationship with him and that we are to become students. Even, the, even in the words, you know, go and make disciples, students of me, not just merely converts. So we... Uh, put up this uh, recycle symbol, kind of this idea that we are to make, mature, and mobilize fully devoted followers or followers of Christ. Then we started Pathways Axis in, and really talking about, you know what, let's rethink the things we do as, as, the, uh, as worship, as the axis of our life. And, you know, what would it look like if, if we went out and everything that we did and everything that we are, that we did for the glory of God? What if we did outreach as an act of worship and to bring glory to God? What if how we related with one another in, in connecting with community and connexity, what if we, we related to one another as an act of worship? How about discipleship? What if, what if we discipled one another and, and taught one another how to follow Christ as an act of worship? And today we're going to continue on that journey as, as we really look at what does it mean to live life as an expression of worship in this act of service. Now, I don't know about you, but there's kind of been two different pendulums in my life about service. Service has been this kind of tension ever since I became a follower of Christ. I, I first started out like trying to win God's approval. Anybody ever been there? Like you do because, you know, God's kind of this, this taskmaster and, and it's expected. And I've also swung on the other side. It's like, eh, God's a God of grace and, and, and it's all good. You know, he'll forgive me. He's in the forgiving business, Right. And, and just trying to go through that and, 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 and really figure out where is a healthy biblical place to, to view this idea of service. You know, how, how do you serve God and bring glory to God in a way that, that isn't under compulsion, but doesn't also, it doesn't take him for granted. And hopefully tonight that we'll be able to unpack this and, and be able to kind of land in a better place if this is some place that, that you've had difficulty with. And I would imagine all of us who are followers of Christ have had difficulty with being in a good place on service. And in my journey in this and in, in just, you know, reading scripture, God led me back to Genesis chapter 12, where basically the, the, the story of Israel kind of all began with a guy named Abram. Now, guy was a, Abram was a guy who was living in a place called Ur, and Ur, where are you from, Ur? Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
And you think Tallahassee's bad, right? You know, er. And, and this, uh, you know, Abram's going along and God intervenes in, in his life. That, 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 that God comes in and, he, and he's like, Abram, you know what? I'm giving you a call. I'm giving you the opportunity to, to be a blessing to others, to, to be famous, and to allow through you all the nations will be blessed. And he changed his name to Abraham, which most of us know the story of Abraham. And this idea that it, that it all kind of started with this idea that God wanted to work through a man to bring blessing, a blessing to the nation, to the nations. And, and ultimately through Abraham's line came Jesus Christ. And then ultimately through Jesus Christ came his body, the church. So starting with this idea of service, you know, what is service all about? I think that we see throughout the story of God that we, we see that, that service is really uh, uh, the idea of being a blessing to this lost and hurting world. We've talked about being an ambassador of Christ and being the tangible hand of Christ. And, and how when we go out, that, that we're not called to maim or to hurt, but to love and, and to help and to bring hope, and, and to bring change. And I think that this has been a real kind of limiter in a lot of our mindset, mine included, in, in, in my personal uh, journey. Because I used to look at, at Christianity and, and Jesus kind of like how you would look at a fireman. Now, I'm going to kind of use a, a, an analogy of a fireman, and, and if there's a fireman here tonight, I know your job's a lot more complex than this. So I just in advance apologize. And, uh, but basically, you know, from me watching TV, you get your information from TV too. Don't judge me. Wikipedia. No, I'm not quoting Wikipedia. But, but uh, you know, on TV and movies, you know, basically my mindset of like the main function of a, of a fireman is, is basically... They, they hang out at the, at, the, at the fire station, right? And they wait for what? A fire. Yeah, they wait for something to happen, like somebody to be in trouble, you know. And, you know, they get the cat in the, in the tree call every so often, but I don't think that's the main diet of a fireman. That, that, you know, or they'd be called kitty men or something like that, right? They're called firemen because their job is to go and put out fires. So in your mind's eye, just bring this picture of, of you know, fire, you know, fire guys, you know. Who was that guy on uh, in Living Color? Fire Marshal, Fire Marshal Bill. Yeah, that guy. Okay, let's, let's have him for our, our fireman, right? And, and the, the, the fire goes off and... And he gets in the fire truck, and he goes to where the fire is. Now, every good fire show, there's always somebody stuck in the building, right? Thank you, Rebecca. All right. This is when I ask a question. That's the time that you respond. You know, that every good fire show, there's somebody stuck in the building, and, and there's this kind of like maverick, you know, macho fire guy, right? And he runs into the, into the building, and he saves the person out of the fire, and, he, and then, he, then he puts them on the curb, right? <laughs> Just going to focus right here. And then what happens? 
they're unconscious or anything. They, he walk, they walk away, right? I mean, they, they hand them off, they wrap up their hose, and they go back to the firehouse. And maybe after they go to the firehouse, they go out and have some beers or, or something like that. But that, that's basically the end of it. And that's amazing. But that's not the gospel. That may be salvation. That may be essential. But God approaches it in a whole different way. Now, I was reading N.T. Wright, and I think he does a really good job at kind of unpacking this, this idea of the gospel even further. And N.T. Wright uh, speaks about the shortcoming of, of uh, salvation as an individualistic message of rescue. Because, you know what, truthfully, God is a holistic God and in, and, and in a holism that encompasses the whole gospel message. And this is what he says. The work of salvation in its full sense is, number one, about whole human beings, not merely souls. But we know this, right? We know that the great commandment is what? That, that God is concerned about our whole person, that that Jesus said, hey, the most important thing is to, to love God with all of your heart, all of your emotional well-being. Bring glory to Him. It's an act of worship in our relational lives. To, to love Him with all of our soul, all of our spirit, our soul. To love Him with all of our mind, all of our intellect. To bring glory to God, to love Him with all of our strength. And equally as important, loving our neighbor as ourselves. And we have this picture that, that, that God is the creator of the universe, of the physical, of the mind, of the heart, of all of these things encapsulated. And we dishonor and we short-circuit the gospel when we only make it about an individualistic message of salvation. Because God wants so much more for us and has envisioned so much more for us. The second thing he writes is, it's about the present, not simply the future. I mean, this is true, right? That, that salvation isn't, you know, just, you know, hey, you're saved, now sit there and be good until I come back. And what, what does that end up being? It ended up paralyzing. It been, ends up stopping people because we wouldn't want to mess up. But that's not the message of the gospel at all. We are sent people. You know, in the, in the idea of the great commissioning as the followers of Christ to go. And Jesus, or, or God's uh, commandment to, to Abraham and saying, look, I want you to be a blessing to all nations. That Christianity is this verb, not this, this, you know, stay here for something in the future. But God has something for us now, and the gospel is in the now. And then the third one is about what God does through us, not merely what God does in and for us. Let me read that again. What it's about what God does through us, not merely what God does in and for us. And when we look at this, we kind of see a larger picture, right? We see 
a larger picture that, yes, we are saved by grace. We are saved because God loved us first. He loved us so much that he sent his only son to die for our sins so we can have eternal life. But also equally as true, in Ephesians 2.10, we are told that we are God's masterpiece. We as individual followers of Christ brought together as the church are God's masterpiece. That uh, we've been created anew in Jesus Christ. We've been saved for a purpose to do the things that he has planned for us long ago. And we have this idea that, yeah, we're saved by grace, but we are saved for a purpose. And God's vision for our life is not to sit down and be good little boys and girls. But his vision for our life is to go and be his ambassadors and change agents to bring lost, to bring hope to this hurting and lost world. Now, I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Matthew 25. Matthew 25 is probably one of the most difficult scriptures and one of the most difficult teachings of Jesus in the Bible, I think. And in context, Matthew 25 encapsulates three different stories. It's a story about these ten bridesmaids who are waiting for their groom, and, and it's a story about oil, and some have enough oil, and the others don't have enough oil, and then the ones that don't have enough oil, that, that they're kind of shut out. And they miss everything. And then another part of the story is about end times where God is separating the sheep from the goats. And it's very easy because sheep have distinct characteristics and goats have distinct characteristics and he's just splitting them. And then we have this story. And, and this story I have heard taught in so many different ways. And honestly... How I usually hear it taught is I am always left feeling like I am under compulsion to do something. And you know what? For this, for change to be real, I think that we have to move away from we should, we should do this so we will do it to a, to a place that we, are, we have an inner compelling and and drawing to be able to do something. And hopefully by the end of this, this evening that we'll have a different idea on how, how to approach this idea of service as an act of worship. So Jesus says, look, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by a story of a man going on a long trip. So for the purpose of this story, who's the man going on a long trip? All right, good. This is the, like, the one time that the Sunday school answer, Jesus, is right. Okay, good job. This is Jesus. Then the next thing that goes on, he, or the next sentence, he says, He calls together his servants and entrusts his money to them while he is gone. Now, here's our first clue that Fire Marshal Bill, as the Savior, there's a problem with that imagery. There's a problem with that being a short-sighted message of individualistic salvation. Because here we have Jesus saying, look, I'm going on a long trip, and obviously he's already called them, and he calls together his servants and entrusts his money to them while he was gone. Now, see if you can make this work in your mind. Fire Marshal Bill going in, saving somebody, putting them there, but instead of going back to the firehouse, instead he pulls out like this, this folder. 
and it has all his financial information, and it's like all this power of attorney that he gives them his ATM card. He gives them the keys to his car. He, he gives them the keys to his house. Gives them, gives them everything and entrusts that person with all of these different things. And probably in your mind and in my mind as well, it's like, well, that would never happen. Like a fireman, you know, wouldn't do that, nor would Jesus. There's something else going on. So the first guy, he gave five bags of silver, and then he gave two bags of silver to another and one bag of silver to the last. Now, check out the next sentence here. Dividing it in proportion to their abilities, he then left on his trip. You see, we have this idea that these aren't just random servants that he wasn't in relationship with, that he didn't know anything about, that he knew their strengths, he knew their weaknesses. You know, he knew who to give you know, the 10 bags or the five bags of silver too. And he knew who to give just two bags of silver too. And he knew the schluff that he was only, you know, going to give one bag of silver to. He's like, eh, you know, he hasn't really proved himself. You know, I'm a parent and I know my children. And I know that, that like if I want something done and I want something done right, I'm going to give that responsibility to my daughter, Madison. Now, if I just want to go and mess around and not accomplish anything, I'm going to go with Boo, go with Eric. I mean, it's just, it's just it's different types of, of, of skill sets and everything. And this idea that we're, we're starting to get unpacked for us, that, that, wait a second, this is not Fire Marshal Bill running into a fire and pulling somebody else out and saying you're saved and walking away. This is something completely different. This encapsulates so much more. Now, this is important as we look at worship or service as an act of worship. So the story goes on. The servant who received five bags of silver began to invest his money and earn five more. So what did he do? He, he, he invested. He got the money and he immediately got to work. That's the right answer. So there you go. Good job, rabbit. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. Now, this is very interesting to me. Not so much what they did, not so much that the guy with five bags of silver went and invested it and made ten bags of silver. Not so much that the guy with two bags of silver invested and got two more bags of silver. What's interesting to me is this. That the guys who went and got the silver, two of them immediately, as part of their nature, there was no fear. They saw opportunity that they, they immediately said, wow, I've been entrusted with more and I, and I want to, to multiply that. Now, 
Maybe money is tripping you up, and if you thought about it as blessings, if you thought about it as, as God put additional blessings on, on these two guys, and their initial instinct was, how can I multiply this to increase the blessings? But what about the third guy? The third guy, what was his initial instinct? To to hold on to it. And I think that we start to see that there's two different types of people going on here. We have the first ones that they see themselves as conduits, that they see themselves as ambassadors of their master, that they see themselves as conduits of, of God's love and grace and a multiplier of blessings, where the other one looks at himself as a reservoir. Is thinking, you know what, what's been entrusted to me? You know, what's the important thing in a reservoir? Not losing anything, right? And, and he's holding on and wants to hold on to this reservoir and not lose anything. So let's see what happens. This is where I think the story gets really good. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had trusted five bags of silver came forward five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest. I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. Now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let me say that again. I will give you many more responsibilities. And then basically the same thing happened with the guy with two bags of silver. He comes to the master and he says, hey, master, you know, you gave me two bags of silver. Now I have four bags of silver. And he's like, good job, my good and faithful servant. You know, I'm going to give you more responsibility. Let's celebrate together. And then the guy with one bag of silver, this is what he does. He says, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I'd lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Isn't it interesting, kind of the response of the master, the response of Jesus? This, this idea that, that, you know what? When the first two guys came, what was their reward? More responsibility. Oh, great. Excellent reward. You know when that is, you know when that's an excellent reward? When you're part of the family. When you're part of the family, when you have a stake, when you have ownership. You see, the reward wasn't, hey, you know what? You can stay in my condo down at, you know, 
Panama City Beach for a couple of days. You know, take a couple of days off. You know, you, you've earned it. You made me a whole bunch of money. Thanks. No. The reward was, hey, you know what? You are faithful with those five bags. And now you have these 10 bags. And I'm going to entrust you with even more responsibility. That's what happens in families. That's what happens when, when people are, are knit together. You see, that doesn't happen when, when Fire Marshal Bill comes in and pulls somebody out of the fire and then leaves them. No, this happens when we read in Revelation where Jesus says, look, I no longer call you my servant, but I call you my friend. You see, what happens is, is we're not saved out of the fire and, and plopped there and left. We are pulled out of the fire and we are adopted into God's royal family that were princesses and princes of the King Most High. Now, this third guy, he gets, he gets blown out because how did he view God? How did he view Jesus? He said, look, I knew you were a harsh man. I was afraid. And the master replied, look, you are a wicked and lazy servant. What can we learn from this? What we can learn is this idea that, you know what? How we view following Christ, how we view service as, a, as an act of worship is, is very telling about our place in the kingdom. You see, if we're, we're approaching God as a harsh taskmaster, someone who reaps where he doesn't sows and, and, and collects grain where, where, where he didn't plant, that we don't know God. That we have this distant view of an oppressive being that is looking to slap us down at every corner. But if we are in relationship and we've been adopted into the family that we have a different view that we do because we want to be part of the story of God. With my kids, I tell them all the time, you know, they, you know, they'll be like, Dad, you know, or Papa, they call me, you know, wh why? why? Why do we have to do this? And this is my answer. It's profound. Because we are McNeeses, and this is what we do as a family. They love that answer. No, they don't love that answer. But they will love that answer someday, that there's certain things as being part of the McNeese family that we just do, and there's certain things of being part adopted into the family of God to be called his children that is just part of our nature. And part of that nature is that we are the conduit of God's love and blessings to this lost and hurting world. So he concludes the story this way. Then he ordered, take the money from the servant, the one with the one bag, and give it to the one with ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. And they will have an abundance. Now, remember, 
He's not talking about material wealth. It's still the kings. It's still the masters. What, what he's talking about is responsibility in the family. Position in the family. Responsibility in the family. Let me read that again. To those who use well what they've been given. To those who use the responsibility, who take ownership of the gifts and the talents of the hope and the joy and the love that they have been given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is what I want you to do this week. I think great things happen when you ask certain questions. Great things happen when you ask certain questions. Questions like, what if? What if I took a chance? What if I cared enough to do something? What if I allowed my heart to break for the things that breaks God's heart? What if I stepped out of my fear and stepped into the realm of opportunity to be part of God's story? What if our we ask the question, what would it look like if I could write one sentence in the story of God? What would it look like if, if I wrote one paragraph in the story of God? Can we, can we even dream bigger? What would it look like if we wrote one chapter in the story of God? How would God's hope and blessings be able to continue and move through this world and bless the nations? Those are the questions. Those are the questions that are dangerous. Those are the questions that change the world. And may I say, those are the questions that prove that you have been adopted by the King of Kings. You guys pray with me. Dear God, I personally have had so much tension. I've been on the performance track of spirituality, and I'm glad I'm off of that. But I also don't want to be lazy either. God, Thank you for adopting us into your family. Thank you for entrusting us to be part of your story. A story that has been threaded through thousands and thousands of years. Thank you for allowing us and inviting us and adopting us into your royal court. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.